Well, we are opening up a generosity series, two-part series. I'm giving part one, Van is part two. Open your Bibles to Matthew 6. So speaking of generosity, the Christian church has really been known for generosity since its inception. And one particularly interesting piece of evidence toward this would be this quote I'm about to show you from a pagan Roman emperor from the year 361 AD. So uh, just to paint some context for this quote, for the first three centuries of the Christian church, Christianity was illegal for basically that whole time, uh, except for one little short respite period. And Christians were off and on again persecuted by the Roman Empire, But then something radically unexpected happened in the year 313 AD, an emperor converted to Christianity. It was like the most insane thing ever at that time. And Christianity became like the state religion for Rome at that point. For every emperor for the rest of the Roman Empire's existence, except for one. One emperor who came two generations after Constantine, the first Christian emperor, he actually tried to, to like, drive all of the Roman citizens back to Roman paganism and get them to worship the Roman gods once again, Zeus and, all, and Jupiter and, and all of them. Um, and uh, what's fascinating is that we actually have a letter that he wrote to a pagan priest sort of talking about some of the challenges of getting the people to recommit their devotion to the Roman gods. And what he points out in this quote is that the Christians are gathering so many people toward their Jesus movement primarily because of how generous they are, okay? And uh, he actually, uh, let's just read the quote now. Uh, This is Julian the Apostate because he was the, he tried to, take the Roman Empire back to paganism. Uh, Why do we not observe that it is there, the Christians, benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done the most to increase atheism? The Romans called Christianity atheism because it led people to forsake the Roman gods. So to increase atheism. When the impious Galileans the Jesus followers, support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. So he leads this whole initiative to get the Romans to start giving to the poor in order to get people to go back to the pagan gods, uh, all because of how radical the Christian church was and how radically generous they were. They didn't just take care of their own poor, they took care of all of the Roman poor as well. So Christianity, and and I could name a million other examples of how generous the Christian church has been historically. But sadly, it seems today in 2024, the Christian church is only getting less and less generous here in our country, the United States. Uh, Some statistics from Pushpay, uh, the most popular online giving platform. We use it, a number of big churches use it. The average Christian gives 2.5% of their income away. 
And during the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. <laughs> the Great Depression. Christians gave more of their income during the Great Depression than today. Additionally, the average non-Christian gives 1.6% of their annual income to charity. Okay? So average non-Christian is 1.6%. Average Christian is 25 wouldn't you think that like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and a born-again new nature would get us more than 0.9% difference between Christians and non-Christians? So what is the reason for this? What's the explanation? Now, there are so many you could go into, but one thing I'll point out is when you see in the body of Christ a dysfunction this glaring where despite the fact that we are, we are the movement that is following the truth, like, you know, I know that's not very, uh, people don't like to hear that in 2024 in our postmodern culture where you've kind of find your own truth, but there are not many truths. There's one truth, Jesus Christ. We follow that truth. When you see a group of people that are actually have the truth and they're actually living according to it. Not only that, again, like I said, you know, they have the Holy Spirit living within them, yet there's such a dysfunction. What it shows is that there is a lie that's being believed across the board that is impacting the entire church. There's a, there is a way of thinking that the kingdom of darkness has infused into our minds that is harming us, harming our witness, harming our ultimate well-being. And that lie, and the title of my message, is the lie of scarcity. It's not the only lie, but I believe that scarcity is a lie that is much more prevalent in the church than it ought to be. And my main point for you this morning is going to be that this lie of scarcity, not only does it decrease our generosity financially, but it actually decreases our faith and trust in God in general. The opposite of the scarcity mindset, as I'm going to call it, is what Jesus modeled and taught. He taught his followers to think with an abundance mindset. And an abundance mindset, it operates according to a completely different logic than the scarcity mindset and and. and different from the rest of the world, and what it results in is radical trust and faith in God. So let's get into it. I told you to go to Matthew 6. We're going to start at verse 24. Here's Jesus. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Okay, so I memorized this verse in college, so I've, you know, I've been quoting this to myself for over 10 years now, and... The way that I always understood this verse was 
Jesus was saying, look, you can either serve God or you can serve money. And serving God looks like X, Y, and Z. Serving money looks primarily like selfishness and greed. And so if you want to avoid serving money, you've got to suppress greed. You've got to rid greed out of your life. You can't be greedy. And so I've always taken this as like a challenge to myself to not be greedy. But what's really interesting is immediately after Jesus says, you cannot serve God in wealth, he actually gives practical instruction on how to follow that commandment. And he doesn't mention greed at all. What he mentions is worry. And what that means is that it's not greed primarily that leads us to idolize wealth. It's worry. It's worry. It's fear. And you know, going into ministry, I always knew I wouldn't, you know, I'd always make a little less than average of everyone. So I kind of was like, all right, good. I got Matthew 6, 24 down. I know I'm not going to be greedy because I'm not going to have money to be greedy with, you know. Um, but only recently I realized like, oh, wow, like I don't, I'm not getting off the hook here. Like idolizing wealth is not a greed problem. It's a worry problem. So you can actually have very little money and be serving wealth as your master. That's the sobering truth from Jesus here. And so uh, what that leads to then is my first point, which is this. The scarcity mindset believes there's never enough. The abundance mindset believes there's more than enough. These are the two different mindsets, and I'm just going to, the rest of my time is literally going to be fleshing out these two mindsets. So uh, a little later in Matthew 6, Jesus makes this statement, which just clearly identifies the scarcity mindset even more. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? This is the scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset is always fearful that there's not going to be enough. There's not going to be enough time to do X, Y, and Z. We don't have enough resources to do this. We don't have enough energy to do that. I don't have enough whatever to do this. It's a fear of lack primarily. And this fear of lack is exactly what Jesus is teaching his disciples not to be ruled by. And this fear of lack is why I believe Christians give 0.9% more of their income than non-Christians. We are the wealthiest Christians ever in history, and we give the least in our country. And what that tells me is that more money doesn't, exact, doesn't actually address that fear of lack. You can have all the money in the world, but you can still be operating with that intense fear that you're not going to have enough that you're going to run out, and then the worst-case scenario is going to happen. It's the scarcity mindset. I was listening to a message that Van gave on this very thing, scarcity mindset, abundance mindset, from 10 years ago. And in the message, he talks about the story of deciding to hire 
Wilson and I on staff here at Vineyard Northwest. And he gave that message in March, and uh, it was March of 2014, and I had come on staff in February of 2014. So the church was hearing this story, this like really fresh story that Van was telling. And so the story goes that Van started to see that God was moving in this little young adult Bible study we were doing in his basement on Friday nights, and he approached me and he asked me if I, or he approached Wilson first and asked Wilson if he'd be the young adult pastor. Wilson promptly said no. So then he came to me. I was plan B, and he asked me if I wanted to be the young adult pastor, and long story short, I said, I'll do it if Will does it too, and so boom, we both got in. Uh, <clears throat> but the part of the story I didn't know at the time was that as Van took this proposal to his board of trustees, the main people that were in charge of looking after the finances, there was, unit, there was unanimous uh, disagreement with him. No one thought he should hire us. And it all came down to the financial state that the church was in because it was an unbudgeted expense. Again, I said we got hired in February, so budgeting had already been done for the year. And there wasn't the amount of money to pay two more salaries and a ministry budget. And I know, you know, having been executive pastor here for the last five years and primarily focusing on the finances, I know what they were thinking. They were thinking if we add these salaries and this budget to our church, or this ministry budget to our church budget, then we're going to lose that much amount probably at the end of the year. That'll come out of savings. And then next year, uh, we're either going to have to hope that giving goes up enough to account for it, or we're going to have to fire another, someone else to keep them on staff or cut expenses here to keep them on staff because we can't just keep paying it out of our savings. And what if giving next year actually goes down a little bit? Because that sometimes happens. Then we're really going to be you know, up a creek without a paddle. So it just doesn't make sense right now. Maybe we can build it in for next year. That's the logical way to, to go about it. And that is classic fear of lack thinking. We don't have enough. We don't have enough money to do this. Now, as a caveat, sticking to a budget is a really good thing to do. <laughs> okay? It's wise. It's, it's wise to live by a budget. And I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you ought to, with your money, make every reckless decision or idea that comes into your mind because you don't want to fear lack. Okay. But what I am saying is that when God is leading in something, is there going to be enough ought not to be the first question we ask. The first question we ought to ask is, I wonder how God's going to come through and provide this. So I'm going to finish that story later, but... But yeah, that's the, that's the scarcity mindset. The abundance mindset, as I've, as I've just alluded to, it, it truly believes that there is more than enough when God is in it. If God's in it, there is, asking is there enough is a stupid question. <laughs> he has infinite resources of all kinds. If God's in it, there's more than enough. And Jesus taught this, and then we see that Jesus' early followers taught this as well. Uh, for example, the Apostle Paul 
said in Philippians 4, and my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need of yours according to his riches. God has infinite riches with which to resource the work he intends to do on this planet and the work that he intends to do through you and me. And when God's in something, if our first question is, am we going to have enough, what we're basically doing is committing a form of atheism because we're imagining a future that God's not in. We're imagining a future where God doesn't show up and provide for us, where there isn't a good God who's going to bless us and resource us. A really like, simple example of this from my life recently <clears throat> is last summer, or I forget when it was, uh, but earlier, this, earlier last year, Mike uh, Turnbow, our, our pastor of prophetic ministry, and his team announced that they wouldn't be doing school of prophetic ministry again after this upcoming year. So after the, 2023, the fall 2023 to spring 2024 session, they'd be taking a year off. And I hadn't gotten a chance yet to take Sopham, mainly because I've been doing other every week classes. I've been teaching them, you know, CSSM being one of them uh, at the same time. And also Jamie and I re started this year this uh, apprenticeship group. It's kind of like a small group with a twist thing. And, and so basically, uh, basically, I just hadn't had a chance to do it, but I really felt like the Lord was telling me, you need to take this. And so it didn't make any sense at all. And I, I, Jamie and I talked about it, and I was like, look, I know, like, every Tuesday night I have CSSM, second and fourth Thursday nights, I, we have our apprenticeship group, add every Wednesday night to that. And, I mean, are my kids, are they even going to remember who I am? Like, and so we really wrestled with it. But we eventually came to the conclusion that, yeah, God is actually calling me to take this. And we made a little compromise in it. Um, I, took, I didn't go every single week. I uh, took some weeks off. But regardless, we made the decision to go through with it. And um, leading up to that, I had a lot of fear of lack. You know, I had a lot of fear that I would have a lack of time for my marriage. I have a lack of time to bond with my kids. And, you know, as a pastor, there's always this thing in the back of my mind where there's... I've heard all these stories about pastors who totally burn their families out and their kids hate God and hate them by the time they grow up and they end up to get, you know, their marriage falls apart all because they invest too much of their time in ministry. And so there's kind of always that fear there. And so that fear of lack could very well have led us to not decide for me to do what I'm doing. But this time, we're, we don't always do this. This time, we sought the Lord first, and the Lord made it clear that I was supposed to do this. And I'll tell you what, it's, you know, it, was, it wasn't easy. It was very busy, and I did miss you know, putting my kids to bed several times a week. But I can actually say that we had a pretty good fall as a family. We did. And not only that, but the class itself has, uh, the Lord's really used it just to reawaken a fresh 
hunger and passion for God in me. And, I, and, and that, that's actually not only been in my life, God has been doing that like simultaneously in Jamie's life, uh, not from our conversations necessarily, but just that seems like God, something God's doing in our family life in general. So all in all, even though it didn't make logical sense, the Lord was in it, and because the Lord was in it, he's provided for us. Another just classic example uh, that you've probably heard before, but following the ancient Hebrew tradition of not forgetting the testimonies. I'm going to share this testimony as well. Back in 2019, in the early part of the year, we had planned to do this giving campaign to renovate the church, purchase live stream equipment, and give money away to support uh, a, an organization that addressed heroin addiction. And so we had it all planned. We had a, an amount that we wanted to raise. Everything was set. We were going to announce the giving campaign in March and then take the offering in April. But come January and February, we have our worst giving months, January and February, that we've had in a very long time. And because of that, we don't have enough, we didn't have enough giving to actually, enough income that those months to actually cover our payroll. And so we did dip out of our savings like tens of thousands of dollars to make payroll for those two months. And we calculated that if things kept going that way, this is February, by May, we wouldn't be able to make our payroll at all. So we were not in the best of situations financially. At the same time, we're getting ready to launch this big giving campaign. <laughs> and the risk with that is, when you do a giving campaign, inevitably, some people, instead of giving to that campaign above and beyond what they typically give, they just divert some of their normal giving to whatever the campaign is. And that, does, that really harms the church's financial operation, of course, because we're kind of counting on that money to come in to pay our bills, and instead it gets diverted. And so we're thinking to ourselves, man, I do not see how it could possibly be a good idea to do this giving campaign. So Van calls a meeting, we all get together, and we're talking, and for the first like hour and a half, we're just basically within one statement of deciding that we are not doing the giving campaign. And then Van says, you know what, why don't we take some time to pray? Always a good idea if you're, <laughs> if you're experiencing fear of lack, that's my number one piece of advice for you, okay? So we pray, and after a time of prayer, we sit in silence for a moment, and then someone goes, you know, I know it's the illogical thing to go forward with the giving campaign, but what if God's calling us to do the illogical thing? And the second that was said, one of, our, one of the people there, Rob Clippard, goes, oh, wow, I really just felt the Holy Spirit's presence on that. And then within like 30 seconds, the entire attitude of the whole, not just a few members of the group, of the whole group had dramatically shifted. And by the end of the meeting, we were planning uh, the practicals we needed to plan in order to go through with the giving campaign. We get to March, we announce the giving campaign. Giving that month, normal giving that month, is up almost $30,000. So we cover all of the, we cover all of the, you know, amount we had to dip into savings for. And then May comes and same kind of thing in May. Giving is still above what we need. We take the offering. 
And the off, the, we do the, the, the campaign offering. The campaign offering is amazing. We renovate the church. We get our live stream stuff all set up right in time for COVID-19. <laughs> and it was just amazing how the Lord showed up. But what it took was resisting the scarcity mindset. Resisting the mindset that wanted to tell us there's just not enough money to do that. And luckily for us, Van called the prayer. <laughs> and from the prayer, God reminded us, no, you don't think like the world does. You don't think according to human logic that is hyper-obsessed over not having enough. You think according to my logic. My logic says, if I'm in it, there's more than enough. So moving into my next point, I've already said this, but I know some of you like to have your points all organized down. So next point is the scarcity mindset is worldly thinking. The abundance mindset is kingdom thinking. When Jesus in Matthew 6, 32 said, for it is Gentiles who strive for all these things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Gentiles there, we can basically translate it worldly. Um, because at that time, the Jews were the people of God, the Gentiles weren't. And so what Jesus is saying is like, look, those who strive and strive and strive and try to hoard and are driven by that fear of lack, that's for the people who aren't the people of God. The people of God, we don't, think that way. We don't act that way. And worldly thinking, among many things, it tells you that you always need to get more. And the reason it tells you you always need to get more is because there's never enough. The kingdom, on the other hand, tells you to give more, to be more generous, to be more open-handed with what you have. It's a great quote from this guy who wrote this provocative book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger from the 70s. He said, uh, Ronald Sider, he said, genuine joy and enduring happiness flow from practicing Jesus' paradoxical teaching that it is better to give than to receive. Jesus taught that, and that's true. For, for us, it is better to give than it is to receive. And speaking of this, I was, I was reading about old hero of the faith, John Wesley, who, if you don't know, he founded the Methodist movement. And I was reading about how John Wesley calculated at one point in his life before he was famous that it would cost him 28 pounds a year to meet all of his needs. So the second year of his ministry, things start to pick up, and he makes 30 pounds. And instead of just kind of increasing his lifestyle to a 28-pound lifestyle to a 30-pound lifestyle, he gave those two pounds away. The next year, his income doubled. And you would think he'd be like, well, I'll just add 10 pounds to my 28 and I'll give the rest. No, he gave all away but the 28. Toward the end of his life, he was living on 30 pounds a year and making 1,400 a year. Gave all of it away except for that 30 that he needed to live. And if I am totally honest with you all, I despaired as I read that. 
And here's why. I despaired because I knew just, it was so, it was, only Jesus could have led him to do something like that. So there's no denying uh, the virtue of what he was doing. But my first thought was, oh, man, I would love it if I had enough income to, you know, go to a really nice restaurant with Jamie once or twice a month, to go on a nice vacation, to, you know, drive a vehicle that isn't falling apart. And, and I, I just started thinking about all of the things that I wouldn't get if I were to take his example and, you know, one for one apply it to myself. And let me just say that I don't think that God is necessarily calling every person to do what John Wesley did. I think that that was John Wesley's uh, conviction. I don't think there's anything wrong with nice vacations or going to nice restaurants or driving nice vehicles. But the fact that my first response was to despair and to think about those things got me thinking. And what I realized was I was equating those things with what it looked like to have like a fulfilling, joyful life. Going on nice vacations, driving a nice vehicle, going to nice restaurants. Like that's what would make me happy. That's what would bring me true joy. But what Jesus came to do was reveal that there is such a better way to be human than what the world tells us. And what he demonstrated and taught was that true joy and happiness is not going to come from all that stuff. Again, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not going to come from nice restaurants, nice cars, nice vacations. True joy and happiness actually comes from generosity, among other things. But it comes from this place of, it's better for me to give than to receive. And I realized, you know what? I don't think John Wesley ever missed it. I don't think he ever was, I don't think it actually, it probably was not a super hard decision for him because he learned just how deeply satisfying and how joy-filled of an experience it was to be that generous, to be radically generous. And for you and I, what we can take from that is whatever the Lord ever calls us to give up, it's not just like give this up so that you can fulfill this moral obligation and get into heaven when you die. Like whatever he's calling us to give up, it's for our flourishing. It's going to result in our best life, actually. It's the best way for us to be human beings on this planet. So that encouraged me big time. This is what Jesus was getting at when he said in Matthew 6.33. I'm skipping some slides back there. <clears throat> but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And I'll go back one. I'll give you guys this point. Uh, the scarcity mindset obsesses over circumstances. The abundance mindset focuses on partnership with God. So this would be a good time to finish the story. So Van went ahead, hired Wilson and I anyways, against the advice of the people at the time that were, that were telling him what they thought would be the right financial decision. 
And I came in, I was an intern at Vineyard Cincinnati at that time with student ministry. So I came here and spoke on a, a January, in January of 2014, just to kind of get introduced to the church before I was hired. And as I was up there speaking, God spoke to a couple in the room, right? In this room. And told them, you need to get behind this financially, this, this move to hire these guys. And so that week, Van got a check, a very large, a five-digit check, let's say, okay? Van got a five-digit check that covered Wilson and my salary and our ministry expenses for that whole first year. But I want to point something out. This is really important to get. That check came after the risk. Okay, that check came after Van stepped out in faith and did what he felt like God was telling him to do, even though he didn't exactly have the resources to do it. And for you and I, sometimes we get into that place where we're waiting for the resources, then we'll take the risk. And I empathize. That would make things so much easier. <laughs> but that is not the way of the kingdom of God. The way of the kingdom is take that risky step of obedience. And again, don't be wild. I'm not saying every fleeting thought that comes through your mind without talking to anyone about it, decide it's God and take a huge risk. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, that's a different message, you know, the like discernment process of hearing God. But for this message, what I am saying is when you feel that God is leading you to do something, take that step of risk and watch how he provides for you. It'll be incredible. Final point, the scarcity mindset releases anxiety. The abundance mindset releases kingdom power. You ever been around someone who's got an intense scarcity mindset, who is deeply concerned about not having enough? You kind of feel that anxiety yourself, don't you? Or have you ever been under a leader or under a boss where there's that intense anxiety about not having enough? It kind of spreads to you, right? I know it does to me. So how do we get free from the scarcity mindset? Uh, I know a lot, a lot of you practice mind renewal, but mind renewal is strategy number one. And if you don't know what mind renewal is, uh, you can pick up a book by Steve Backlund called Victorious Mindsets. But basically, whenever we're dealing with not just something we're doing, but something we're thinking, we have to have our minds renewed or we're going to just keep doing the same thing we've always done. And so we have to ruthlessly rid the scarcity mindset out of our thinking. Now, the nice thing is with this particular lie, the fear of lack, all it really takes is periodic risks where things are going to blow up in flames unless God shows up, but you say yes anyways, for that mindset to be completely rid out of your thinking. So... It's actually, compared to some other lies, a little easier to address in a lot of ways. Um, 
What's the risk God's calling you to take? What's the risk he's been calling you to take for a while that you have been saying no to because you didn't think you had enough? Enough talent, enough resources, enough energy, enough time. What's the thing God's calling you to get involved with that you've felt like maybe you should be getting involved with? Maybe he was leading you, but it was a non-starter for you because your first thought was about not having enough. Really what we got to do, we will turn this world upside down if we just are a people where is, it, is there enough is not our first thought. I'll end with this. I was reading this book from a guy named Stephen De Silva. He was the CFO of Bethel Church from 1995 to 2016. And in his book, Money and the Prosperous Soul, he was talking about this moment at Bethel where they had $10,000 in the bank on Tuesday. On Wednesday, they owed $10,000 to pay their uh, missionary commitments. And on Thursday, they owed $30,000 to pay their payroll. And they have 10. <laughs> so he's freaking out. He goes to the senior pastor, Bill Johnson, and says, Here, look, here's where we are. I think maybe what we should do is like, not pay our missionaries and, and pay our staff with the 10000 and just give them as much as we can. And Bill's like, well, let's pray first. <laughs> and apparently Bill was like, it has come to that. <laughs> it has come to prayer. <laughs> so they pray. And Bill's like, nope, we're going to pay our missionaries because their livelihood depends on us just as much as our staff. So they pay the missionaries, and the next day comes, on that, on, the, on that Tuesday, or on that Wednesday, Thursday comes, they don't have the money in the bank to pay staff, payroll's coming up, and this man shows up at the church, walks into Stephen De Silva's office and says, hey, I'm so sorry, I've been trying to give this gift for the last three months, but things kept getting held up. Um, Here's a check for $35,000. Let me know. Uh, hopefully it's helpful. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what he said. And the, aside from just the miraculous provision, the wild thing about that story was that they didn't even need to, quote, unquote, pray that money in because God had been setting it up for three months. That's how much God takes care of us and takes care of his kids. So would you stand with me? <clears throat> I think some of you in here with this, uh, prayer teams can come forward. Um, I think some of you in here, you have been deprived a lot in the past, either in childhood or maybe in a really toxic relationship. And because you've been deprived a lot in the past, you have that just automatic there's not going to be enough. There's not going to be enough. There's not going to be enough. And I believe the Lord wants to free you from that specifically this morning. Um, also, I think some of you in here, you feel you're kind of like personality-wise, quote-unquote, wired toward a scarcity mindset. Like you're just, you feel like it's part of your personality to automatically think. And you know what? Maybe your personality is a little more focused on technical details, but whatever your personality wiring it is, the kingdom of God and your sonship and identity in Christ is much stronger than that. So I want to invite you to come forward as well and get prayer for breakthrough there. So let me pray and then, then you can come forward. Holy Spirit, thank you for the abundance mindset and the freedom, the true freedom that can come to us this morning.
hey, I see the Lord just really releasing freedom to our minds and freedom to our hearts. So thank you for your work of freedom, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for flipping everything that the world says upside down and showing us the true way to live, the true way to prosper. We honor you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.